Welcome to Pardon the Confusion. We're glad you're back for another week. This is Paul Arnold, your host, and I have Ernest Watts from Rockingham and Chris Daniel, all the way from Denver, Colorado. Chris makes uh, an occasional visit. You know, he's so busy out there being a high flyer and going to all the games out there. Chris, what is your life like on an average day? Oh, uh, I wake up around 5.30 from a screaming baby. <laughs> and uh, I go to bed around 9 o'clock, <laughs> exhausted and ready to do the next day all over again. Yes, Chris is in that new fatherhood stage that Ernest and I have said goodbye to a long time ago. Ernest, did you block out those years, or do you remember them? I remember them. They're seared into my memory. It, it's <laughs> fascinating, though, <laughs> to see how your children handle it. As opposed to how you did, how child raising is so much different. My wife was talking about this this morning with someone. She spent a week uh, babysitting my grandson in Greenville. And she was talking about how, you know, and I don't know if our way was better or their way was different, but how different child raising is these days. That's a good place to stop, Ernest, because I know both your sons are listening to this podcast. And (laughs) and by the way, I I had to shout out to uh, Trent. He's my hat man. He listens to us. He is house sitting in Colorado, in Colorado Springs this week. So nice. There's my. He'll give me a discount on my next hat I order. So go ahead. Well, we're about ready to get into everything <laughs> NFL, but before we got started today, we were talking about over the last two years how this podcast has developed. And Ernest, you came up with a new nickname that you could market. You could logo this. What is this new name? I'm I'm air dominant. I know uh, uh, some of our other hosts, some of other hosts' wives have mentioned that maybe I don't edit myself on air time-wise. No, never. Uh, never. Hey, don't let, don't let a ticking clock get in the way of a good story or hey. opinion for that matter. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was telling somebody else, I said, I love your stories, and I, I would not be this rude in person. Sometimes I cut in and say, we got to get to the next thing. But this is entertainment, folks. So let's get to the NFL. And boy, another great day of football, at least if you're the Chiefs. And so far, the 49ers, as we record this, the 49ers are over the Packers 27-7. to Looks pretty confident that's the way it's going to go. But let's first talk about the Chiefs over the Titans. All hail Mahomes, I guess. So once again, the Chiefs say, "What first quarter is overrated. Who cares if you're down 17 nothing?" And once again, they roared back. So, Ernest, what was your takeaway from today's game? I found it fascinating that the Chiefs took the game plan away from the Titans and applied it to the Titans. They ran the ball. They kept possession. They're not really a a time possession team Mm -hmm. or ball-dominant team. They were able to do that. They actually outrushed the Titans for the game and actually held Henry to under 75 yards. So I, I thought they were able, you know, as much as we, we I complain about their coach and the, the fact that he does not know how to manage time, I thought that he did a great job. Him and Eric Benemy, who is his offensive coordinator, who went through several head coach opportunities, but still, I think the only reason he was interviewed was the Rooney Rule. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody was seriously interested in. I thought the way they adapted their offense to face a probably the hottest team in the NFL. Right. And that touchdown run before halftime by Mahomes oh, crazy. was something out of Madden. I mean, he like he was running out of bounds and he was just able to to, to stretch it in for 
what I think pretty much secured that win. Mm-hmm. Chris, you watched it out in Central Time or Mountain Time, right? Denver's Mountain Time. Mountain Time, Mountain Time. So, oh yeah, the best time zone to watch sports. <laughs> what was your takeaway? Yeah, I, you know, I, I wasn't surprised. Uh, just the way I, I'm never surprised with Kansas City's offense. I think it was really their defense that just uh, over the last couple games they've they've just really um, uh, turned the head on on. I guess everyone had talked about all season that that is their their Achilles uh, their Achilles heel, and this was really I mean that's that that saved them. I mean they, they the Titans couldn't run and that if if the Titans couldn't score and couldn't get a lead then the game was over. You know just Mahomes and that offense is so dominant, and uh, for them for that defense to keep them in the game and stop Henry, it, I mean that. I, I think they're going to be a very hard team to beat, uh, no matter who comes out of the the NFC game. I think, I think Kansas City is going to be a very very tough out. Right. Well, one player that talked a lot of smack this week was Frank Clark. He was quoted the Kansas City defensive end was brought over as free agent or traded. I don't know which one. Traded from traded. Seattle. And he ended up playing against his old college teammate Taylor Lewan. Both played at Michigan. And when Clark was here at Michigan, man, there were some rumors that he always didn't do things the right way, and he probably needed to get out when he got out. And even at Seattle, he had some questionable times. But he talked big this week that, oh, it's no problem to tackle Henry. Just take care of him. And then the last play of the game, practically, he beats Taylor LeWand, who isn't a choir boy himself, around the edge and and sacks uh, Tannehill. And... I think the defense really stepped up. I believe the other um, defensive end, Jones, was hurt as well. Isn't that right, Ernest? And he still played? Yeah, Chris Jones had injured a leg uh, practice before the first playoff game. And, and I really thought he made a big difference. They, they played him in pass rush situations. But if you're looking for a defensive MVP for this game, you got to go with the Honey Badger. Honey Badger. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's a good year Matthew. for LSU. Well, Matthew just, I thought he he was able to play almost like a, well, you know, defenses in college used to have this like a, a sheriff position or a wild card position. A guy who come down and play linebacker or safety, and I thought he was very, very dominant. And he was able to cut down any offensive flow, the way he came down defensively. I mean, getting Jones back was important. Pacasseron, who they got uh, back also. Suggs came in very well. But I did think defensively made the difference because they're going to score their points. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. 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 So, and, and any, and, and you know, my cousin Armani Watts, who is the <laughs> backup safety for yeah. the chiefs. Yeah. Uh, he's important on special teams. There Me and my go. cousin go back way back. Armani yeah. Watts from <laughs> Texas. <A&M. laughs> I think he probably dresses better than you. Is that what you're saying? Oh yes, Definitely cooler name too so yes yes definitely <laughs> i mean the thing the thing that i found interesting was going into halftime i believe it was the time of possession for the the titans like 19 to 10 and obviously that's only 29 so there's a minute somewhere uh but that was <laughs> you know the final possession time was 30 minutes and 10 seconds for the titans 29 and 50 seconds for the chiefs so that means the chiefs dominated the second half and again they just they ran the ball they they exactly what Ernest said which I normally don't agree with him but um <laughs> they just they 
they put Tennessee's game right back into You don't their agree face with Ernest? Is that just, what you they said? They smoked them. Usually. Most usually. Of the time. I don't know why any I don't know why any team. Right. I don't and I don't know if any team you play the Titans, you would defer to the second half because the Titans, when they have a lead, you know, they just they take the air out of the ball. But if you yeah. get a lead on them and you make if you make Tannehill have to win the game, you know, make him more than a caretaker quarterback, they're in trouble. Mm-hmm. But if they've got a lead and they can take the air out and they can hand to Henry and they you know throw the little oh, down yeah. out passes, the game's over. Or throw one of those three tight ends they have. I mean, they it's, they can win the yeah. game. It's it's nineteen seventies football and Frisco plays a lot like that also. But you know, I, I was texting during the game and I was telling y'all pretty much, oh Lord, if it was a 49ers Titans game, it'd be the most boring Super Bowl <laughs> of all time. It'd be like five passes thrown the entire game. Yeah, well, Miami this- Dolphins used to do this in the seventies. I mean, there was a Super Bowl against Minnesota. I think it was Super Bowl five, where Greasy threw twelve passes the entire game. Mm, yeah. He didn't know, need to throw a lot. And that sort of sets up an interesting Super Bowl because the 49ers, great defense against a great offensive team with the Chiefs. And when the Chiefs score so quick, it puts their defense out there so long. So time yeah. possession, once again, becomes huge going into the Super Bowl. And all year long, Ernest, you have not been on the Garoppolo bandwagon. Still not on that wagon? He's a caretaker quarterback. I still... If they don't have the lead, they're not the same team. I mean, they're they're very similar in that point to where the Titans are. I mean, again, they're one of the, they are the number one defense, and you're going to watch the number one offense go against the number one defense. I mean, that's going to be set up. But I think the game will be determined more on what that rushing offense for the 49ers. And again, with Coleman, and it looks like Coleman may not. I mean, like an He's elbow done. injury, he may be out. He's done. But Breida and, and Raheem Mossat and Jeff Wilson Jr., I mean, they use all three running backs pretty much equal distance in that respect. But And then occasionally, you know, they, they're able to throw outside of Debo Samuel or, you know, go into He's some a beast, one of the other. man. He is Him the and, biggest and Sanders. Beast. Samuel and Sanders both block so well downfield that that's why they can rush. So I, we know – the Chiefs are going to score. We know there's going to be pressure. My court, my early lead into this Super Bowl is how effective will the Chiefs' defense will be stopping the rushing attack of the 49ers? Well, I think we saw today how they can't. St- yeah, I think they stopped the best runner in the, in the game. So I, I think if they have the same game plan, I think it's it's going to be um, Chiefs Chiefs win. But I, I do trust Garoppolo, and he's got a lot more weapons than uh, Tannehill. Um, I still think Mahomes is a much better quarterback, but Garoppolo is, uh, I think, a far better. Qu- I think you don't give him enough credit. I, I think he's all. I think he's won maybe one or two games, but for them this season uh, on his back. But everything else has been either the defense or or the running game. So I think he can do it, but I, I don't. I think Mahomes. Holmes does it on a on a on a weekly basis. The trouble so, is, Chris, traditionally yeah. Super Bowls are won by the team that has a better ball control offense and a good defense. Mm-hmm. But the question, Mahomes is such a transcendent player. I mean, he can will it seems like he can do anything they need when they need it, rally the cr- troops together. But playing in Miami, they won't have that big crowd and they were doing a 
uh, yep. sound check on that crowd, and it was helping them. Um, so you get them all the way to Miami. 49ers, better system. So, Ernest, do you give the edge to the 49ers early on? Yeah, I think they'll be the favorite. I think they'll be at least a two- to three-point favorite. I think we also will see the two best tight ends in the NFL playing against each other. Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> the be best word-dropping tight ends? Well, yeah, yeah. Kelsey, I mean, he put a three-second delay on him. But uh, Kelsey <laughs> for the Chiefs and Kittle He's for a... the 49ers. I think they're, yeah. they're both. To a certain extent, the new Roma, I mean, the new Roman, uh, well, the new, uh, uh, well, the tight end for the Patriots. How Gronkowski. Soon the, the, the new Gronk. Both, basically, they're both two Gronk. They're the two best tight ends. It's amazing how the four finalist teams all had great tight ends. That's the one quality. You couldn't say they all had four great quarterbacks or running backs or defensive lines, but the one quality of the four finalists were all four had great tight all right so we're picking all right chris what about you you pick in 49ers over the chiefs i do think the 49ers have a just better overall team but i just think that chiefs offense is just too dynamic uh so i, I think it could be a shootout and even if even if uh kansas city doesn't stop um you know, if they stop them fifty percent of the time, I still give it to to Kansas City because I, I just think they have too many weapons and they can just pick you apart. So I, I'm gonna give my edge to uh, to Kansas City. Okay. Plus, plus we're having barbecue because Kansas City won, so we'll have barbecue at our, uh, <laughs> at our uh, <laughs> Super we, we Bowl know, party. We know Andy Reid's gonna choke. I mean, that's, always that's, oh. that was gonna be my next question. Is, do you give the edge to Shanahan just because a he he hasn't really choked in the playoffs and and Andy just is a serial choker? Well, you, you give Whoa, a team that two sounds weeks. like a Dateline episode. Oh yeah, <laughs> sounds like an Aaron Hernandez. Uh, oh, we'll talk about that one later. <laughs> series, yeah. What's, what's the guy on Dateline? What's his name? He keep forgetting him. That's where he comes in and speaks. Uh, I mean, if it was the week, which I like when Super Bowls used to be one week after the conference championships. I would give the Chiefs the advantage, but two weeks usually goes the advantage to the defenses right. I agree. to prepare. So I just I think it'll be the 49ers. All right. I want the Chiefs to win just because I really like Mahomes and I like what they're doing there, but I'm going to pick the 49ers by three. So, guys, I know both of you have played your share of video games over the years, and my son, I trained them young to train when Super Nintendo and uh, early Madden games and things like that. So if next year somebody gave you a brand new Madden system and you could pick either Mahomes or Lamar Jackson as your quarterback, which one are you going to pick, Chris? Mm. Mm. To play on a video game? Yeah. Lamar Jackson. Really? Yeah. Because he's faster? Yeah, he's faster, and he, he not can as do accurate. Cool. I mean, yeah, but I I think uh, if we're talking about next year, I think they're going to go out and get him another weapon or two. So I I think uh, yeah, I think Lamar, and he's, he's this is really his first year running the whole offense. So I mean, this is only the third year, I guess, or second, I guess, full year for for Mahomes. So I mean, I love Mahomes, I and I he can scramble as well, and. It's a tough one, but I, I would take in a video game setting. I'd take uh, Lamar. Ernest, you're a good. Baby Mahomes, player. Mahomes. 
Mahomes. Mahomes is is far in his his prime. I mean the ability without to the turnovers. Wrist, without the turnovers, the ability to flip his wrist. I mean the idea that he has thrown. I think we're up to nine touchdowns and no interceptions in the post yes. postseason. I mean, he's just – I mean, again, you look at the weapons he has. The weapons he has are far superior to what Jackson has for, for uh, Baltimore. But Mahomes just has that magic quality, and he's done it in the postseason. Yeah. I would pick Mahomes as well because when I played Madden, I didn't run the quarterback very good. I, it just wasn't something – I don't know why. I couldn't do two things at the same time. So what I'm going to ask you guys next after I tell you my play, I always had one go-to play in Madden. So often I would play my son, and it was really either it was a play that either I could throw a slant over the middle or the other pass. On one side, the guy would go left and slant over the middle. The, the right wide receiver would do just a go route all the way down. And I just really could see that play well. And if the long ball wasn't open, slants were just always open to me, and I'd rather pick Mahomes to do something like that. Er, Ernest, did you have a go-to play in Madden, or do you? I had a go-to play and go-to players because most teams are right-side oriented. I would kill with Steve Young, ah, slant pass, nice. Jerry Wright. I would dominate because Rice was so strong, yeah. so big. I mean, I watched him run out in the field. I know, the today all the, the way. The game, 57 years old. I thought he could, he could put a uniform on. He could still play. Except for that He's first hit. Chick. Yeah, that first hit. But that was the play. And again, because defense was a right hand oriented, you're attacking the left side and Rice. And, and you, it was unstoppable. It truly was. I remember one time playing my oldest son and getting him so enraged I was winning 50 to nothing at halftime. Whoa. And I would just throw. Whoa, not young, the end of the year there, buddy. No, no, no. Hey, you know, you, hey, you step on the gas pedal. Oh, my God. No comebacks. Nice. Wow. 50 to okay. nothing. Push. Not How old was he? Seven? The year. He was probably 10 years old. I wasn't oh, father of the year, by no respect. I hope he came back and whooped you later in another game. No, not really. Oh, <laughs> all right, Jordan, yes, if you're yes, listening he to did. this, yes, he would. he's he talking would. smack. You got to go back he and would. beat him. He would. All right, he's, Chris. We're, we still have a dispute that he has never beaten me in uh, basketball. Ernest, stop while well, you're ahead. Before you dig deeper, man. Go, I know. Go I to know. Chris. Chris, what's your go to play in that? You know, I, I didn't really have a, an offensive go-to play, but every once in a while, I would put uh, goal line defense on, and then just rush everybody. Normally, it, it would you know it would result in a you know, throw away or, or a sack, a something blowout? like that. But no, not a blowout, just a, a, a sack or something like that. Yeah, yeah. run away. So goal line defense on, you know, just. Middle of the middle of the field, <laughs> just everyone coming after him. All right. Well, hopefully, folks, you can hear Chris carefully and clearly. It sounds like he just walked in a big tunnel, and uh, we're having a, a winter storm our way. So hopefully, folks, you'll hear this all clearly. And both these guys, as I texted them in preparation for this podcast, said that they're they've been interested for quite a while, and even more recently in the Aaron Hernandez story. And this last week on Netflix came out its documentary. And, um, Ernest, you've been telling me about his story for a while, but um, I want to start with Chris. Chris, what got you interested in watching Aaron Hernandez's documentary? Well, I was just fascinated about the whole the whole story. And, I mean, 
my brother and sister both went to the University of Florida. Now they went uh, several years before him, but um, the Urban Meyer and uh, just him being, you know, Urban went to Ohio State and just the growing hatred of, of Urban and how I felt like he created a culture that, uh, you know, uh, popular players or the best players, you know, had their own uh, system or they could they were they could do whatever they want. So I wanted to see a little bit about that. Uh, but just, uh, I mean, uh, how did, did everything play out and how was his childhood influenced by, you know, how he played and, and just the whole thing and, and with the Patriots. And so it really fascinated me uh, just how something or someone that troubled and we've never seen anything like it before. Now we, we have the whole CTE thing where, where players are, you know, in their either late, you know, middle or later part of their lives and it kind of just uh there's a switch that goes off and they're taking their lives and you know once their their brains are are examined it's discovered that they have these cte and it's causing a lot of these uh, suicidal thoughts but we had never seen and to kind of go into it you know aaron hernandez had had cte and he was 27 when he took his life um but no one had ever seen a player you know, a convicted killer in the middle of his prime, really. Uh, so it, it was just, I found it very interesting and just, I wanted to learn a little bit more about just well, kind of the background of, of him and everything like that. I think we quickly forgot Ray Lewis. I mean, knifed a guy and I mean, well, I uh, he, he didn't I die. Convicted. He, he, you know, <laughs> yeah. Ray Lewis was in the vehicle when another guy was knifed. Okay. So right. he was, he was, because he was present and because he did not uh, testify against it, he was complicit in the crime. Uh, and we're also forgetting, that. and we're also forgetting one or Renfield James Simpson. Also. But he wasn't a player. But he, no, but he wasn't, wasn't a player. player. This is the middle of his. I mean, oh, yeah. this was well after. Oh yeah, but I mean, I think uh, to a certain extent, Ray Lewis was the, the closest. Oh yeah, it was but not, yeah. not the way they did it though. Ooh. And and the CTE is legitimate. I mean, they they did autopsy of his brain, but I think a lot of contributing factors to his behavior were well before football. Oh, I think yeah. football merely coddled that behavior because he was someone yeah. who was physically abused by his father. He was sexually molested at age five. He uh, he was a closeted homosexual. Uh, had affairs with his quarterback in high school. He his own high school principal objected he was an early entry into florida urban meyer brought him in relatively what should have been his senior high school spring year brought him in as an early recruit mm -hmm. his grades probably were not to the point where he should have been playing at a four-year college he was coddled he was in bar fights in florida yeah. There is another murder that mm -hmm. is subjective that he was probably guilty of killing two other people. Yeah. Uh, people, he was viewed by his family, by his football coaches, only for what he could do on the football field and signed to a long-term contract at age 23 by the Patriots. His disturbing behavior was looked the other way by Urban Meyer by his high school coaches and by Belichick. And when he needed help, those people did not step forward. Mm, wow. 
I mean, it's did it's he reach no out for help? I don't think. Yeah. So well, yeah, he yeah, asked for a yeah. trade. So he asked for a trade from Belichick, and they're like, no. He's like, you know, I think my life is in danger, and uh, because people knew the the people that uh, knew of his murders, he thought it was going to come back and haunt him. Obviously. Uh, so yeah, he did ask the Patriots to trade him. And I think there was enough behavior in high school and in college and in the pros that anybody who did not view him for what they could do for them on the football field would notice that he needed help. Family members knew about, about the physical abuse and the molestation as a child and no none, one reacted. None of his teammates in Florida tried to help him. Did anybody have an opportunity to help this guy because this is a train wreck. And maybe sometimes we get curious why people crash and it makes us reflect on people in our lives. Did the documentary say anything about his teammates trying to help him? Well, it was a great podcast by the Boston Globe about a year ago. And I think you got to remember the environment of football, even a high school level is that you're replaceable and you know, there's always someone ready to take your job away from you. And so that doesn't exactly foster a, a family kind of relationship mm-hmm. to the extent. Coaches are constantly telling you that if you don't pre- perform certain standards, you will be replaced. There's a thousand other guys just like you wanting the opportunity. And I think that doesn't, I mean, that doesn't, unless a, a, you have a very rare coach in that respect who sees a player as something other than what he can do the football field for them. And there are those out there. We know, you know, we've, we've met them. We know them. There are various ones we could name. He just wasn't privy to that. Yeah. And I think if he had gone to a school, another school, I think a lot of these things could have been found, but I think there was a lot of shame in the poverty. He was raised. There was shame in his, his, his lifestyle. And because of that, that's how he acted out. The CTE cause all this? No, but I think it accelerated a lot of his behavior. Mm. Chris, you have another take. I mean, on when it? the Patriots, yeah, I mean, it was just so fast. I mean, when the Patriots did a, um, I guess we'll call it a personality test, and they do it on all their draft uh, analysis or prospects, he was very strong in lot, but but maturity was the lowest it could possibly be. Mm. So he just was not a mature, uh, adult. Uh, I mean, he was, he was, uh, I mean, just w- watching his high school tapes, uh, football. I mean, he was a man. He was just in a man sized body against playing against boys. I mean, it, it was unbelievable. And, uh, you know, so he just, he kept, he kept going. And I, I, I do think, you know, maybe his life is a little bit different. I don't think it's dramatic dramatically different if he doesn't get picked by the Patriots because he grew up in Connecticut and you know Massachusetts is not that far from Connecticut mm-hmm. so uh you know he he still was surrounded by by his old friends and and you know would he have been better out on C- was his know, father in, in the picture or, anyway where was his father so his father his father uh uh uh, went in for routine hernia surgery. I think it was like his sophomore or junior year in high school and passed away wow. and just had complications. And so was that he an was, athlete? Uh, yeah. Yeah. He, he yeah. But, but then his mother leached off of him. Yeah. His mother viewed him as a, a gravy train. Mm. 
mm-hmm. as money. And she bounced in and out of jobs in that respect. It's fascinating because when you hear some of the phone calls that he made out of prison, mm-hmm. is like he, he, I don't think he ever thought he did anything wrong. Hmm. I mean, as the, the maturity factor, and Chris is right. He did not have the maturity of an adult. And, and we know that you know, the earlier CTE shows itself. I mean, the human brain doesn't really mature to age 24, age 26. Some mm-hmm. people say 63 because that's my age. <laughs> but I, and then the thing that's the last thing that develops in the development of the brain is, is judgment. It's, 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 it's recognition of social cues. And, and I think, I think it, again, he is someone that should have seen a child psychiatrist very early in life, mm-hmm. but because of his value as an athlete, people put that ahead of his personal value. So do you think anything good is going to come out of this documentary or of his life? It, I would love to think that, you know, people say, hey, we have some real problems with our systems. Or do you think it's just going to be, man, that was horrible. What's next? There are a lot of no, programs. I, yeah. Go ahead, Chris. Well, I'll, I'll, so I, the one thing I found that was interesting is they had a couple of um, ex-teammates of his. Uh, uh, one of them in particular was, uh, I think it was a center. And he, you know, he was a closeted homosexual. And, and so, you know, he, he, during his whole life, he would just gain weight and, and try to make himself as ugly as possible. So he wouldn't be outed and no one would have to ask him why he's not dating anyone. And he, you know, he, he, he knew he didn't really care about uh, his life after football. Cause after football, he was just going to kill himself because uh, it just, it, he just didn't see any other route. And so he, he went to counseling and uh, through the NFL counseling and the, you know, the counselor told him, you're not the first person that's told me that you're a gay man and you're not the second either. And so I, I hope if I think the thing I would, I would like to hope come out of this is for any, any athlete, particularly uh, boys that are, are, you know, struggling with their sexual identity and they're, you know, in a, in a, a sport that is masculine, that they feel comfortable at least talking to, to someone, a counselor about that. And it, it's not, uh, you know, they don't have these suicidal thoughts or they don't have to, they can be themselves a little bit more. And I think, you know, hopefully their performance exceeds because of that. But uh, yeah, I thought that was very, very interesting. Unless you know, I don't like to go... Ahead, I don't like to go deep and heavy with this, but the basic fact of the matter is three times more people die from suicide than do homicide in this nation. And mental health issues are something that we really just don't approach. Right. 20% of the population live with a diagnosed mental health problem. And there are colleges and high schools and pro programs that have great player assistance programs. The military has a fantastic I work with the one at Fort Bragg and Camp Lejeune. And I think it just needs to be an awareness and and not valuing young people, athletes of either gender, for what they can do on the court or the field, Mm -hmm. but as their values, human beings. Very small percentage of kids in high school play college ball, and even smaller percentage play professional ball. Mm -hmm. And it's tough. You know, times are hard, and, and people with mental health issues are looked upon as being soft or weak, and we need to recognize that is an injury like a physical injury it needs treatment and it needs a treatment plan mm-hmm. 
I have one last question about this because I haven't seen it. So he committed suicide. Was was he not put on watch? Did they not expect it to happen? Or was there basically he was in a type of facility there was no way they could have stopped it? It's kind of a Jeffrey Epstein kind of watch. Uh, the, the, I don't think it was that kind of watch. <laughs> uh, I, I think the uh, prison systems are woefully undermanned. I mean, even I know I have a friend of mine I go to church with who works in the prison system. And they just cannot find people. They're undermanned, understaffed, and there is no way, even with a video system, then you can watch every cell at every time. Mm -hmm, and right. if, if someone must do something, it, they're going to. I mean, they're just without treatment. I mean, treatment's the first step. Mm -hmm. You just don't have people sit there and watch everybody in the cell. Yeah, Chris. But the interesting thing, Paul, is I, if I was, you know. Determining if he should be on suicide watch, I, based on his situation, I would have never put him on suicide watch because. So he had his original um, conviction for the single murder, and then he, you know, going out to life without parole. But then he gets uh, another two murders that are, you know, he has to go to trial on. Well, he wins his case, and uh, the attorney at that time says, "If you don't win this case," The appeal that we're putting in on the first trial, you can forget that because you got two other murders. So if we win this, that is your only chance to keep, you know, going with mm -hmm. not having, you know, a chance to get out. So he he won his second case uh, and he was found not guilty for uh, the two murders, which, uh, you know, it, I think it was uh, he had a great lawyer. There but, was a uh, there was a phone call the day yeah. before and an interview by the Boston Globe reporter, and both of them, I mean, even a trained mental health specialist have said there's no indication that he should have been put on suicide. Yeah. So he just so they're thinking that in some way. So what happened was a couple of days before. He was outed uh, on public radio oh. and a sports show. Sports, and yeah, so, sports talk radio. Yep, on uh, in local Boston, and they think that is kind of he he heard about it and you know it, it got through to him and uh, they think that's that was kind of the uh, end. But he also learned he also knew about a law in Massachusetts mm -hmm. that it, it's a old old law. If you're in appeal and you die, you are found not guilty. Hmm. Your, so, state, your state cannot be sued. Yeah. And then money would go to his, his I think he had, how many children he had? At least just one. Well, one I think daughter, right? one. Fian yeah, fiance and a daughter. Mm -hmm. So he just signed a $40 million contract a couple of years prior to, with the uh, New England Patriots. And so he, you know, by killing himself, he was able to give the rest of that money to, to, you know, to his daughter because now he's not guilty. And I don't, I don't know what his contract says, but essentially the patrons would have to, you know, give him that wow. money. And so, the, the, you can't underestimate the outing on the radio because Boston yeah. radio is very competitive. There's like three and there's some, I mean, and they've had people fired for some of the conjecture and vile things. Mm -hmm. And they, I believe it was on the Boston Globe they played it. I don't know if it's on Netflix, where they played the actual broadcast. And they're yeah. laughing and joking about it yep. on Sports Talk Radio. Mm -hmm. 
Wow. Well, that's just a, a sad, sad story. And um, I remember watching him play. He had great skills. You could see why they always wanted him to play because him and Gronk were really unstoppable, one or the other. It's just a sad story, and I think it reflects on, like, winning is so important. How far will you go to win, and will you ignore problems players are having? Or if you're in baseball, you ignore the rules and you cheat the science. And so we're going to transition talking about one of the craziest weeks in Major League Baseball that I've seen for a long time since probably the steroid era, and that's the Houston Astros manager and general manager being fired, and then also the Boston Red Sox manager being fired, and then the Mets, Carlos Beltran, didn't even get us started on his new job with the Mets. He got fired, and he was the only player uh, identified because he's retired now. So I'm assuming that most of these listeners have already listened to my previous podcast, Boys of Summer, where we talked all about this, but I want to give these two guys some chance to talk about it as well. Ernest, you have loved baseball for a long time. So how do you rate this cheating scandal in all the um, problems of baseball over the last 100 years? They've been stealing signals since Cap Anson. I mean, to me, <laughs> I is, think... Wait a second, who's Cap Anson? Cap Anson was one of the original <laughs> baseball players in the 18th century, all right? I'm sorry. Hey, was, I'm he before, was he before or after uh, Cobb? He's before Cobb before by 40 Cobb. years. 40 years before him. Jeez. Wow. I, okay, mean, I, mean, I just had no clue. It's, it's the technology <laughs> aspect, okay? I mean, I, I think it's a bunch of uh, much ado about nothing. The most famous home what? run of all time. It's much nothing. What? It really isn't. They've been stealing. There's been this wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Let's try and figure out the signals. Let's try to deduce. Guys at second base have been looking into the catchers for yeah. years. It's all you're all. But it's not. Them. No one was banging trash cans, giving them saying, "Hey, this is going to be an off-speed pitch, and you could just sit back and wait for it." Uh, the most famous home run of all time, the New York Giants, uh, Bobby Thompson, was signaled by a flashlight. Or 56? Uh, I don't think this was the most popular home t- home run of all time. But it well, has been. Uh, yeah, it's for anybody our age. In our okay. age, uh, he he was signaled by a flashlight in the audience. They'd have a guy that would look in with binoculars, the catcher, and use a flashlight to signal. The only difference in this is the technology aspect. A, why in the world do you have TVs in the dugout? What use is that? Let's take so they can watch Golden Girls on their break. Instant replay is determined by officials. Who doesn't want to have Rose and Blanche go out? Oh, yes. Well, (laughs) during during the the prime audience for baseball these days, (laughs) that's the age group for baseball, I'm afraid. Take the TVs out. I know they're going to say, well, some of the the, uh, bullpens are inside. No, they're not going to take away because they're going to do video replay. You know, if they want to. Excuse me. Football coaches don't have a TV set to look at and replay. <laughs> but well, yeah, they, but they, can, they can they can go right up to the box and get those people who are then, looking at the game. Put a coach in a box. So Take you're saying it's much ado about nothing. It's always been done. If it wasn't yeah. for this reliever pitcher fires complaining, it should have just been okay. Yeah, this is and part if, of baseball. If I was fires, I'd have someone else crank up my car for the next five years. Wow. So you're taking Mendoza's <laughs> approach to this yeah, on ESPN. Yeah. That this I is do. just, they squealed. It's one of the unwritten rules of baseball. You don't squeal on each other, and you have these 
really competitive ways to get your advantage. Is that what you're saying? It's, it's fascinating in baseball how if you get caught stealing signals or if you gamble on your team, you're out forever, yet you can beat up your wife and all you get is a lousy 30 days or take drugs. Mm. I mean, it's uneven, uneven, mm. excuse me, uneven judgment by Manfred. And this is why your sport is falling to fourth in popularity right now. Mm. Wow. All right, Chris, do you have a different opinion of this? Yeah, it's, I think if, if you have a second baseman, I agree that it's been done for forever. But using the technology aspect, uh, that changes the whole thing. And if by using that, I think that's what took it to the next level because um, you mean the little sensors under their uniform they're supposed to have that or, or they're getting or they're looking at the television, which is in the thing and they're banging a trash can or they're doing whatever to let that that hitter know. I mean, I, I think then take the that, I, this, is, this is I think this well, I think it's much worse than this steroids issue, because even with the steroids, you still had to hit a ball uh, with these. If you know, it's either going to be an off speed pitch or, or fastball. And you can sit on it and know, I mean, that's, that's, these guys are professional hitters. If you give them, uh, you know, an advantage like that, I, that really, really is uh, a huge advantage. So I, I think that's, is, is that why the Astros lost all four games at home in the World Series this year? <laughs> well, <laughs> supposedly they had stopped by then, right? Yeah. So, Ern- yeah. so Ernest, yeah, do you, they're, you don't they're think. Conscious, their conscience yeah. got to them and they stopped. <laughs> Because they have won so many games by not cheating. Well, the biggest See, villain yeah, is think, supposed I to think, be Cora. Yeah, I think it's Cora too. And that yeah. helped the Red Sox how this year since they not didn't this make year, the playoffs. The year before. The year before. That's right. He quit, <laughs> That's right. He, he quit too. He, he won it, he a World Series cheating and he quit cheating because of that, right? All right. Uh, See, we have a skeptic in the crowd. So, what do you think I mean, is the worst thought, baseball scandal ever, Ernest? Uh, we'll see. It, there's certain degrees that the Black Sox, you had not all the guys cheating at Buck Weaver that was kicked out of baseball forever, uh, even though he was he knew about the bribes but did not take money from it. Shoeless Joe Jackson actually hit over 400, even though he took money, even though the owner was betting against his own team, Charles Kaminsky. I mean, the varying degrees. I mean, it's 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 not a simple. Look at this. None of the players are being punished that actually cheated. The general manager and manager, probably their careers are irreparably damaged because they knew of it and they didn't stop it. Mm -hmm. The owner, what I'm pretty sure if the general manager knew about the owner did, Mm -hmm. gets paid a little $5 million fine, keeps his championship. I mean, if you're going to fine, fine everybody. If you're going to punish, punish everybody. Don't make it just – and I know why the owner wasn't given a hard slap on the hand. The Red Sox owners were not punished because they are Rob Manfred's bosses. Yeah, and he's certainly not going to go at them. And another part and the is players, that the players, the players are, are off are... because the unions are protecting them. Yeah, that's right. Well, so, and, and when they had the the Apple Watch incident incident a couple years prior with the the Red Sox and the Yankees, there was a letter that said, if you know, if this happens again, I'm going after the GMs and the coaches. So mm-hmm. he followed up and. That's exactly who he went after. Yeah, I think this is worse than the steroids as well. I think I, I get what you said, Ernest, uh, but if you wanted it's to have a, a level playing field as much as possible, and boy, yeah. that knowledge of knowing what pitch is coming 
is more impactful than one or two guys hitting uh, having steroids. But I do think the Black Sox uh, thing was probably the worst thing for Barry baseball. Bonds. Barry Bonds being your all-time home run hitter, which his head actually grew from <laughs> size seven and three fourths to size eight. Mm-hmm. I think he was a borderline Hall of Famer before. I wonder if anybody's measured him lately. So. But he'd be smirched. Henry Aaron is the all-time mm-hmm. home run winner. Well, don't you think I baseball mean, fans are the most sanctimonious? Like this is the way the game should be played more than football, more than other sports. I think they're more. They revere the record books and records more than any other sport. Like Pete I mean, Rose. history. Yeah, history means more to them. I mean, all the evidence we have, Pete Rose best bet on his own team. I mean, but also the game hasn't changed. The 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 game hasn't changed as much as you know. The technology uh, aspect. Has. It's the technology aspect that does it all. It's amazing how, when you look at this baseball for a sport that supposedly reveres its history, changes the sport. They just changed the rule this week that a player on the ban list cannot be voted in the Hall of Fame after he dies. Mm. Now, who's that for? Who's in his 80s? And who was that rule? That rule was changed for Pete Rose. Mm-hmm. It was changed for Shoeless Joe Jackson. Mm. I mean, they shift it. And again, listen, they let steroids go on for 10 years because it was great for baseball. Chicks That's dig right. the long ball. We saw the commercial with Glavin and Maddox. Everyone loved when McGuire and Sosa were going for the home run search. And that was inequity. But everybody cheats. Everybody takes signals. So, Ernest, this- according to you, you don't see Kevin Costner doing a movie about the head. Houston Astros cheating. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, there'll be no movie about this, but it's again. It, oh, know, I think there will. I think it'd be a great movie. It'll be one of those lousy ESPN movies, like the one where they had Brian Dennehy play Bobby Knight, or where they had the guy from Heat play Pete Rose with a terrible wig, <laughs> or where they had John Tortino play. Billy Martin. Yeah. It'd be one of those lousy ESPN movies. So that's what we're going to end on today. We got about three or four more minutes. Uh, if you have time to watch only two more sports movies, you know, go back. You can watch any sports movie in the afternoon. Which sports movies are you going to watch? We'll start with Ernest because Chris will need a little more time. Ernest has watched them all probably. So yeah, I mean, there's so many. Great, I love Miracle. I truly every time Miracle comes on, I watch it. Uh, because that's a time period that the one about know, the hockey been, players in 1980. Oh yeah, Herb Brooks and the 1980 hockey team. Uh, I, I like those type of historically based, and the majority of them I usually know how it ends. Another great movie is uh, Eight Men Out uh, with Charlie Sheen, and uh, I forget who plays Buck Weaver, but it's it's a great movie that really breaks down the background of the Black Sox scandals, because that's something I've heard about my entire life because I live near where Shoeless Joe Jackson's from. And it's wonderfully done. 61, oh, there's so many great ones. 61 by Billy Crystal directed about Mantle and Maris. Ford versus Ferrari, which is up for the Academy Award, mm-hmm. is, is the next one. Really good. I mean, there's so great ones, but I'd have to go with two. I'd go with uh, Eight Men Out and Miracle. Uh, those are two. It's the type of movie again when you're flipping to the screen, you go, "There's nothing to watch," and you see them. Come on, no air bud. 
No, 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 no Mighty Ducks of Anaheim. <laughs> no, I hate the Mighty Ducks series. Uh, there's, if you want to watch a good hockey movie, watch Slapshot. It's 50 years old, but still holds up very well. Paul Newman is the epitome of a minor league hockey coach, and it really shows what minor league hockey is all about. Okay, no Will Ferrell movies with that either, huh? Uh, no, I mean there's some, there are a lot of good ones, but but I love I love uh, Talladega Nights because I'm in Talladega Nights, but uh, <laughs> no, uh, I won't go with those. All right, yeah, Ernest lives in Rockingham, North Carolina, heart of NASCAR country. Okay, Chris, we gave you a little time. If you could watch two movies, what would they be? <sighs> there's a couple out there. Um, you know, remember the Titans? It's probably the first one I thought of. I, it's a great movie, Denzel Washington. I mean, you got um, Moneyball, Space Jam, Cool Runnings, um, <laughs> but I think, I think, if I had to pick one more to watch, I think I would watch Major League. Mm-hmm. I just that movie just cracks me up. I think it's the most. I mean, uh, Harry Doyle or not? Yeah, is it Doyle up in the uh, Bob Uecker? Uh, yes. Bob yeah, Uecker. Bob Uecker. A little oh bit outside. Just and, uh, a bit outside the, what, for ball four. What's the bit of the idle juice? Jew, Jew, yeah. Is that the little <laughs> idol that he uh, has? No caddy shack. So huh? funny. Nah, I, I never was a big cat. I mean, I liked it and I, I respect it, but I wasn't a huge fan of it. All right, I'm gonna wrap up this conversation. I'm gonna go way back. Only Ernest will remember this movie, but when I was in high school or a little bit before it came out, and it was a made-for-TV movie. Let's see if Ernest can guess it. Wow, you're gonna say Brian Song. I am. So, Every man oh, breaks that. down. Every, did you see the original James Conn? The original and, is the only uh, one. Yeah. Billy Williams. Oh, that was yeah, a great I, I movie. I was in English class in seventh grade. Yeah. And then great, they great. They intersped the actual NFL video of Gail Sayers. And Gail Sayers had a very short career in the NFL. He only lasted six years. He had three operations on his knee. But he was just electric. And, and you had that real footage cut in. With it. And of course, Brian Piccolo was from Wake Forest here in North Carolina. So I knew the story before the movie, but every man tears up when he watches Brian's song. Well, as a young guy in uh, playing sports, and that came out, it was a different type of movie. And you have to understand the racial tensions back in the 70s, too. And when that movie came out, it was really powerful because in Detroit area in the 60s and 70s, uh, it was not a, a peaceful time between the races. So it really spoke to that, you know, playing sports, being on the same team can really transcend a lot of barriers. And then they talk to these guys who are retired now or are going into the Hall of Fame, and they all say the same thing. We miss being part of a team. We miss being part of that group. And uh, um, that's why I sort of hoped with the Hernandez story there was somebody that could have seen what I was going through and just said, hey, we're on the same team. How can I help you type of thing? I hope there's still players out there. And we're going to end tonight by giving Ernest a chance to talk about one of his favorite players of all time that announced suddenly this week that he was retiring from the Carolina Panthers. So, Ernest, I know you have jerseys of this guy. Talk about why you love Luke Keekley so much, and did he do the right thing? Uh, one of my prized possessions is my youngest son bought me autographed football from Luke Keekley. Luke Keekley left it on the field at all times. And this year, I had noticed that, that he was not quite the player that he was. He was slowing down. He, he, you know, he's still one of the best linebackers around. And it was, you know, it's, it's rare that you get to see a player for your hometown team that you know 
is a Hall of Famer or one of the best in all time positions. And it's, it's amazing how individuals usually when someone retires early, there's always the comments about, well, is he being selfish? But uniformly, everyone here locally is thankful for the time that he played. And we just hope he's well, because when he made the announcement on Facebook, I was actually watching the movie 1917 in a theater when it came out, which is a very emotional movie. I, I watched the video and he was emotionally to the extent yeah, that was. this wasn't his idea. This was medical advice. Right. And, and, you know, we've got three, two statues out trying to get rid of one of them from our stadium, but Luke Keekley will be a hall of famer. And I hope, because of his intelligence, because he studied the game and he knew where to be on every play. He would call out the play that the quarterback would call before the play was run. Mm. I mean, it wasn't just the physical skills and the talent and the point that he gave out everything and every play. It was the intelligence. He, he had it all, physical ability, intelligence. And uh, again, it, it's kind of like we, we hope our players – those of us who are fans of players, we hope they never age. It's like our children. We like, wish our children always stayed a certain age. But that's selfish and it's unrealistic, and it's the same as fans. And our players get older, and they have lives, and they have families. We hope they retire. And it's fascinating when you talk about his retirement, and we just expose it with what we've talked about in CTE and Aaron Hernandez. You know, I, I hope that Luke Keekley has the ability to live a full life. Yeah. I, I was agree. I was shook up at the Gator Bowl because they had the whole players come back to the Gator Bowl this year. I was watching against Indiana and Tennessee. Mm -hmm. And uh Steve Spurrier was there, Steve Spurrier being coach Steve Spurrier. But uh, Archie Manning was there. He was using a walker. Archie Manning's only about six years older than myself. Mm -hmm. And see how enfeebled he was was upsetting and disturbing. And I, I, don't, I don't ever want to see Luke Keekley on a walker. Mm -hmm. I, I hope he can walk away with his head up. And in five years, we'll see him in Canton. So as we wrap it up, thank you for listening to Pardon the Confusion. Thanks to Ernest Watts and to Chris Daniel. And have a good night. <laughs>